Well, if I can just uh, interrupt your conversations. So if you want to uh, bring your conversations to a close. And uh, we will um, get going again. So uh, really good to hear you all speaking to each other. Please do continue uh, these conversations afterwards or um, at lunch. Well, as uh, Joe has already said, uh, we are continuing this morning in our uh, most recent um, sermon series, uh, Who is Jesus? As uh, we're looking at uh, Matthew's Gospel and chapters 8 to 10. And over the next couple of weeks, uh, I will be um, concluding this uh, particular um, um, series for us. And uh, this morning, as has already been said, we come to look at Jesus as the King who cares. And that will be from uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse uh, 35 to 38. Uh, so we're going to actually have two readings this morning, and so I'm going to ask uh, Wayna uh, if she would come up just now, and she's going to read a passage from Ezekiel chapter 34, and then also our passage for this morning, which is from uh, Matthew chapter 9. So thanks, Wayna. Today's passages are from Ezekiel 34, verses 1 to 16, and Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. You can also find it in your bulletin insert. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 to 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As truly as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There, they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. 
Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Thank you very much, Wayna. Well, um, a few of you may have seen the story in the news uh, this last week about a Norwegian climber. And this particular Norwegian climber has been accused of stepping over a badly injured mountain guide uh, whilst seeking to climb the summit of Mount K2 in the Himalayas. And uh, the guide um, later died. Now, I know that there's all sorts of debates and discussions amongst climbers and mountaineers about whether it's even really possible to uh, rescue someone who's very badly injured at high altitude. But the accusation is that this person's group was so determined to reach the top of the mountain that they stepped over this body of a guide who was therefore essentially left to die. Apparently, uh, one person who uh, observed the incident uh, commented afterwards. They said, we saw a guy alive, lying in the traverse, and people were stepping over him on the way to the summit. The people just passed by, and there was no rescue mission. So here was somebody who was in desperate need, but yet rather than showing compassion... People were so focused on themselves, and in this particular case, they were actually so focused on breaking a world record uh, that um, someone was left to die. Well, this morning we come to Jesus as the king who cares. Jesus is the king of compassion. As uh, we just saw from our reading, Jesus is the one who, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, a sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Jesus never steps over anyone on the way to his own glory, but rather he lays down his life for the sheep, as we will see. So then here in Hong Kong, of course, we're very used to crowds. Uh, You can see some uh, Hong Kong crowds uh, there on the screen. Uh, Every day uh, we see many crowds of people. Uh, Maybe on the MTR, maybe on other forms of public transport. Maybe you're somebody who's younger and uh, over this last week uh, you've uh, just started school uh, again and there's crowds of people there, many of whom uh, you may not know. Uh, Maybe you see crowds of people when you're out um, getting your lunch um, during your um, lunch break at work. So how are we to view the crowds that we see every day here in Hong Kong? Are they an inconvenience? Are they just people in our way who we sort of need to step over or step round to get what we are aiming for in life? Uh, Are they just the great mass of people who, if we're honest, we would rather not engage with? Or if we're Christians, um, ought we to view them differently? Well, I think all of those are really great questions uh, to bring to our passage this morning. Because Jesus says that when we see the crowds, uh, when we see people around us who don't yet know Jesus, we are to view them in at least three ways. So, uh, number one then, viewing the crowds is a time for compassion. 
And so the first thing that we see here is that Jesus' attitude to the crowds is not one of pointing the finger in condemnation, but rather is one of compassion. And we've actually already seen this over recent weeks as we've been looking at Matthew 8 and 9. So in recent weeks we've seen that uh, Jesus has healed the leper. He has calmed the storm. He's restored uh, people who have been demon-possessed and oppressed. Uh, He's brought back to life the daughter of a synagogue leader. And last week uh, we saw that Jesus healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He's made the blind to see and the mute to to speak. And all the rest of um, chapters 8 and 9 are actually um, summarised in verse 35, which is the very first verse of our reading this morning, which is is one of these sort of summary verses in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And then uh, we read in verse uh, 36, when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So here we get a glimpse into Jesus' heart for the crowds. Jesus' motivation, really, for what he has been doing throughout uh, chapters 8 and 9. If we want to get an insight into the heart of God for the crowds of people that we see in our world, then this is exactly the place to go. This is the insight that we need. Jesus looks out on the crowds and he has compassion on them. Um, A a couple of you may know that uh, the word for compassion, which is used here, and is used uh, really regularly throughout uh, Matthew's Gospel, is a very strong one in the original. Uh, The idea is that Jesus literally feels this compassion from his kidneys or from his bowels, which is a sort of way in the ancient world of saying he actually really does um, feel this um, very deep uh, inside. Uh, One author translates this as gut-wrenching compassion gut-wrenching compassion. The idea is that Jesus is not just emotionally moved here or moved theoretically or moved in his mind, but he is actually physically moved as well. He's experiencing um, physical pain. Um, He feels it inside, I guess. In uh, English, we might say that his stomach was in knots. Uh, If you've uh, ever maybe seen somebody's uh, suffering and you feel a um, physical reaction to that inside, that's the kind of thing that we are talking about here. A stomach in knots. Uh, This is the heart of God, really, for people in the world that he has made. It is actually uh, a... uh, a uh, part of Jesus' character which is emphasised throughout uh, Matthew's Gospel in particular. So the same word is uh, used in uh, Matthew chapter 14 verse 14 where we read that Jesus had compassion on the crowds and healed all who were ill. Uh, Again in Matthew chapter 15 verse uh, 32 Jesus says I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And again, when uh, uh, Matthew is uh, speaking about those who were blind in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34, he says that Jesus had compassion on those who were blind and touched their eyes. So can you see that Matthew is portraying Jesus to us as the king who cares, the king of compassion? Of course, it's true that uh, Jesus here is proving a point. He's proving that he is the Messiah Uh, the great king who was predicted in the Old Testament. Uh, He's proving that he is God's 
Son. But as well as that, Jesus is actually revealing to us the heart of God. He is showing us what God is like, God's stance towards the people that he has made, even in a fallen world, uh, that he is one of compassion. As um, Dane Ortland, who's the uh, author of a book called Gentle and Lowly, puts it, uh, he says that Jesus, given to us in the Gospels, is not simply one who loves, but one who is love. Merciful affections stream from his innermost heart. Uh, that is the saviour who we love and praise and worship. Have you realised that Jesus' attitude towards you is of merciful affections streaming from his innermost heart? That's the Jesus that's presented to us in the Gospels. Uh, Dane Northland goes on to uh, quote one of the Puritan writers, a guy called Richard Sibbs, uh, and when uh, he was commenting on these verses in Matthew's gospel he says when Christ saw the people in misery his bowels yearned within him it's uh, getting right back to the original meaning of the word which is used whatever Christ did in grace and mercy he did it inwardly from his very bowels from deep within his being so we can see here that Jesus response to the crowds that he sees in Galilee is one of compassion his heart breaks when he looks at them and why does Jesus have compassion on the crowds Uh, Well, we learn here that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you you think about it, uh, sheep are completely defenseless. Um, I'm not sure about uh, this, but if you think of an animal that's completely useless against defending itself against predators, then um, sheep would probably win, uh, wouldn't they? They're just not with any natural defences at all. Uh, so when a wolf or a bear comes maybe they're scattered everywhere the flock's totally scattered and probably many sheep will die if they have a good shepherd of course then he will defend them he will care for them he will lead them and guide them into uh, green pastures and uh, he will look after them but if the flock has no shepherd or if the flock has very bad shepherds then the sheep are helpless and vulnerable uh, and many will die That's really partly Jesus' point here, actually. Uh, In our reading from Ezekiel 34, we saw that in the Old Testament, um, God had spoken through Ezekiel against the bad shepherds. Uh, The bad shepherds at that time were basically the corrupt uh, kings and the false prophets of ancient Israel. Uh, They did not care for the flock, Ezekiel says, but rather they exploited it. They abused the sheep. They grew fat from eating the sheep. They got rich from the wool but yet they did not care for the flock and tend it. And so God says that he himself will come against the bad shepherds of Israel. So who are the bad shepherds at the time of Jesus? Well, the bad shepherds of Jesus' day are the scribes and the Pharisees and the current leaders of Israel. Those who we saw last week actually opposed Jesus' work and attributed it to the devil So what's Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying that he is actually the good shepherd. Uh, He is the king of compassion. He is the leader of Israel who really cares, the one who looks at the crowds and has compassion on them. So Jesus is the king who cares, and just as he has compassion on the crowds, so also should we. Uh, I was reading a story this last week about a pastor. Uh, His name was Jack Miller. And uh, I was reading a a collection of uh, letters that he wrote 
And in uh, one of these letters, uh, he shares that uh, he and his wife were once walking down a beach uh, while they were on holiday in Europe. Uh, there was a group of uh, Europeans, uh, people who were um, sun sunbathing there, and one of them deliberately did something that was just rude and obscene and was just designed to be uh, offensive to him uh, in the maximum possible way. And really this pastor shared just how angry and upset he actually was with that particular uh, individual and uh, even the uh, whole group. How he was disgusted with their behaviour, uh, he was disgusted by who they were even. Uh, he was disgusted by the deliberate attempt that uh, uh, this uh, person made to uh, force their lifestyle onto somebody else. And uh, then he shares really how God, through his Holy Spirit, really began to work in his heart uh, to help him to begin to see this person and uh, this other group with a heart of compassion. And really how the Spirit changed him so that he now wanted to bless them. He wanted to forgive them. Uh, he even began to pray for them uh, that they might be saved by Christ. began to see them as uh, people who were lost in their sins, who were separated from God, who were alienated from him, who were headed to hell unless they repented and actually were in desperate, desperate need of his compassion and salvation. It's really just a, one example probably of many of uh, someone who had begun to be moved by the gut-wrenching compassion that Jesus has for the crowds here. And we shouldn't be wagging our fingers at the crowds in condemnation or uh, ignoring them. Or rather, Jesus is saying that if we have the heart of God, we should be moved by compassion for them. So um, what does this mean for us uh, here in uh, Hong Kong? Maybe think of some of the different crowds, perhaps, that we see or are aware of. Um, maybe could, we could think of the uh, young people of uh, Hong Kong. Put some um, st statistics on, on there from a mental health charity in uh, Hong Kong. The um, source is mind.org.hk, and their website says that the number of childhood psychiatric patients increased by 50% from 2011 to 2015. 51.5%, and these uh, statistics are more recent. 51.5%. Uh, of secondary school pupils show some symptoms of depression. 25% show clinically high levels of anxiety. Among university undergraduates, things are even worse. 69% show some symptoms of depression and 54% suffer from anxiety. So if we're Christians, uh, surely those short sorts of statistics should really move us to compassion for the young people of Hong Kong. Or what about when you see crowds of partygoers or um, clubbers going out in uh, Lang Kwai Fong on a um, Friday night? Uh, do we just look down on them as just being really shallow and just uh, wasting their lives um, seeking pleasure? Or do we see them as lost, those who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Or what about when we see crowds of domestic helpers out on a Sunday afternoon here in Admiralty? How do we view them? Or do we see them with the heart of Christ as those who desperately need salvation? Of course, we could go on and on through various different crowds of people that we often um, see here in Hong Kong. Crowds of people that work maybe in, in Admiralty or essential and um, giving their lives for things, but yet maybe feeling um, disappointed and disillusioned. Uh, without Christ, uh, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. 
humanity. God made the world. God loves the people in the world. And here in Matthew's Gospel, we get this little glimpse into the heart of God for the world. It's meant to move us. It's meant to move me. It's meant to move you. It's meant to help us reflect on our own attitudes to the people that we see around us regularly, where we're often filled with contempt or apathy. Uh, and it's meant to challenge us to see them with the love of Christ. If you're someone who is here this morning and you aren't a Christian, I wonder, uh, is this a picture of Jesus that you recognise? What picture of Jesus, if any, do you have in your mind when you think about him? See, it is true here that Jesus does point the finger, but here he points the finger actually at the religious leaders of the day, not at the crowds. He points the finger at the bad shepherds uh, in this particular instance his basic stance towards the crowds is actually one of compassion is that a picture of Jesus that you recognise if so would you like to get to know Jesus more and so Jesus sees the crowds Uh, he's filled with compassion for them but we, we need to move on because we also see that when we see the crowds it is a time for workers So in verse 37, Jesus goes on to say that the harvest is plentiful, but the the workers are few. So Jesus basically changes the image here, the metaphor he's using from sheep uh, to that of the harvest. Um, Just to help you get into this a little bit more, there's a picture of some people bringing in the harvest there on the screen, just so you can get uh, some idea of uh, the uh, picture that Jesus is using. And uh, let's start uh, by looking for a few minutes at the harvest. So some have taken the harvest in this uh, verse to mean the day of judgment, uh, like it usually does elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel. That seems the dominant way that it's used. So in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 39, for instance, uh, it speaks about the harvest being the end of the age and the harvesters being angels. But that doesn't seem to quite fit with the particular reference that we have to the harvest here, uh, where it speaks about the harvest being plentiful. It's sort of quite hard to see really how a reference to the harvest as the day of judgment would really fit with that. And so the reference that Jesus makes to harvest here seems to have much more to do with the idea that there's actually a great uh, harvest of people who are ready to become Christians, who are out there. That seems to be what Jesus is saying. The harvest is plentiful. and There's lots of people out there who are ready and willing to become followers of Jesus Christ if uh, only there there were workers uh, to take the message to them so that they can respond to it. And so Jesus says, well, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few Um, I think Jesus was probably um, looking at the crowds in some of the towns and villages uh, that he had just visited. He saw so many needy people, so many people who were oppressed and helpless. He knew that um, many of them would embrace the kingdom. And so his earnest desire was to see more workers go out into the harvest field. And when we come to the next chapter next week, uh, we'll see that Jesus sends out his disciples two by two to continue his work. I think it's interesting here that uh, what Jesus says here is really the exact opposite to the way that we often think. If you're anything like me, um, you will assume that uh, the harvest will be small and that the workers are many. Is that how you think? It's uh, certainly how I often think. I think that the harvest is probably going to be small 
but the workers are many. But yet here Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. See, we often think that there's not really that many people out there that are really interested in Jesus and becoming Christians. Um, but yet uh, we think most people are going to be pretty unresponsive at the harvest. It's going to be pretty small. But yet Jesus says here that the harvest is actually plentiful. Now, there are many people, who he says, who uh, would love to respond to the message, but yet the number of workers is few. So I'm, I really think this is a correction from Jesus that I often need to hear. See, I often just assume that uh, people won't be interested in Jesus, especially as I look at the enormous crowds of people that we sometimes see in the global cities of Asia. Uh, I tend to assume that most of them, they're pretty much wrapped up in their own lives, they, they're doing their own thing, they look pretty happy as they are, uh, they, they maybe even have their own beliefs and their own religions, and so many of them are not that interested in Jesus. And so we feel discouraged about the general state of belief and Christianity in our world, and we resign ourselves to uh, our own private little faith where we sort of keep it to ourselves but um, we don't really spread it um, to anybody else but I think Jesus really does challenge that attitude here which is so common amongst us contrary to what we might think the harvest is plentiful Christianity is really great news the good news about Jesus is really good and there are people out there who are just waiting to respond to it as soon as they hear now, of course, there's going to be uh, regional and uh, historical variations uh, according to uh, where we are in the world and maybe uh, which particular part of the harvest field we're actually dealing with. Uh, we may feel that the harvest is small in our particular part of the world or our particular historical moment. But uh, overall, Jesus assures us that usually, and ultimately, the harvest is going to be plentiful and that should encourage us to keep going in our own personal witnessing. So we need to look at the harvest. I think it's helpful as well to look at the workers. So what sort of workers are needed? So on the one hand, uh, and this uh, verse has often been interpreted this way, I think uh, this is talking about what we might call specialist workers. So we might think of evangelists or pastors or missionaries or youth workers or maybe Christians who are just especially gifted in evangelism. Uh, and they are the workers who think, well, maybe they've got some sort of specialist role in God's harvest field. They are the ones that have to plant. Uh, they are the ones that preach. They are the ones that sow. They are the ones who maybe go to new cultures or new places uh, to help in the uh, harvest. And uh, I think that is true. But I think this actually applies uh, to, more, to all Christians more generally. Jesus is saying that the number of Christians involved in his work overall is small. And therefore, Christians ought to think more carefully about how they can get actively involved in God's harvest field and in serving him. Now, the rest of the New Testament affirms that all of us have spiritual gifts. God has given each of us the uh, personalities, the unique upbringings, the uh, backgrounds he, he, he has, the educational level for a reason. Uh, the Holy Spirit has gifted us. Um, none of us is insignificant as far as God's work goes. All of us have a role to play, whether that's up front or whether we feel it's very much in the background. And so there is a challenge here for us. The number of workers is small, and that means that all of us are really needed. Uh, we're in the middle of the uh, Women's World Cup in uh, soccer at the moment. And uh, so maybe one helpful way to think about this is like a football team. 
if you think about a football team, uh, it's true that there's a sort of few specialist workers up front, um, and they're the ones who score the goals, right, the strikers. But it is also true that the whole team is needed. If you're going to have an effective team, you need the goalkeeper, you need the defenders, you need the midfield players. Everyone has a role to actually play. But yeah, they all have the same aim. They all want to see goals scored. They all want to see the ball in the back of the net. But you have a sort of combination of uh, specialist workers and the whole team. I think it's exactly the same here. We all have one aim. Uh, we all want to see the ball in the back of the net. We all want to see people becoming Christians. And we all have a role to play in that, whether we are a striker or a defender. I guess we would say that the only place where a Christian ought not to be is actually up in the grandstand, just uh, watching everything which is going on. As we look at the crowds here in Hong Kong, see it's a time for workers. Uh, each of us is needed. None of us is insignificant. Uh, there are workers that are needed for the harvest field. And so one question to ask you is, do you see yourself as a worker? Do you see yourself as a worker? When you come to church, what do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as someone who sort of takes and then goes? Who sort of just attends, who's uh, affiliated maybe in some very kind of um, vague way? Um, or do you actually see yourself as a worker in God's harvest field? Of course, it doesn't need to be an ambassador. That can be a whatever church you uh, represent uh, this, this morning if you are visiting with us. And when you're at home or when you're in your office or maybe you're at school or university, do you see yourself as a worker in the harvest field? And not just working for your boss or just working to get some great grades for an exam result or, or just working to earn money, uh, but ultimately working for the King of Kings and actually one of his employees. You know, especially after covid uh, the, the many churches throughout the world have reported smaller numbers of people than ever before involved in actively ser serving. I used to think this was just a sort of post-COVID thing here in uh, Hong Kong, but actually speaking with uh, ministry colleagues in the uh, US and the UK, it is also true, true there, uh, if not uh, more so, that the number of people that local churches are saying are sort of uh, helping in and serving has actually gone down dramatically post-COVID. Maybe that's because of doing services online. Uh, maybe many people are sort of just tired and exhausted after the years of COVID. Uh, maybe many people have got out of their habit of sort of serving regularly at church uh, during the periods of lockdown. Well, it may, may not be true of Ambassador. May we be a church where we see ourselves as workers in God's harvest field. May you see yourself as a worker wherever God in his sovereignty has placed you. Uh, then there's one uh, last point I would, I would like to make, which is that when we look at the crowds, we also see that it is a time for prayer. And this is really the really surprising climax, I think, uh, to this passage. When you read that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, what's the very next thing you expect Jesus to say? If you're anything like me, I expect Jesus to immediately say, go, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, therefore you guys really need to get out there and you really need to get on with the, the job, right? That's what we expect Jesus to actually say. Well, isn't it interesting that that's not what Jesus actually says here? He doesn't say to go, he doesn't sort of say to instantly go out there and become a, a worker. What he actually says is that we need to pray. 
if you notice that, he says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus is saying that when we see the crowds, we're not sort of to be overwhelmed by the great need or we're to be paralysed into inaction by the spiritual state of those we know, thinking that we can't do anything. Rather, Jesus says we need to pray. We need to ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's true, of course, that God does want workers, but first of all, God wants prayers. God wants those who will pray. When we see the crowds that are so vast, needs which are so great, we often feel inadequate, but yet we have a God who is adequate. As it says here, we're to pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest field. Uh, and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. What an encouragement for us to pray. Uh, when you see the crowds in Beijing, or Hong Kong, or Shanghai, or Bangkok, or Jakarta, and the other great global cities of our region, where there's maybe very few Christians, we can pray for more workers. Lord, please raise up more pastors and evangelists for the church in Indonesia. Lord, we know that many people in that country of 275 million need you. Father, please help your people in Indonesia to grasp that they are gifted and equipped by your Spirit. Help them not to be timid or nervous, but bold. Help them to go in the power of your name as they take the good news about Jesus to the people that they know around them. See, those are the kinds of prayers that we can pray for more workers for the harvest field. Here in Asia, and of course we often um, do that at our monthly prayer meeting. See, maybe you often don't know what to pray for when you watch the news or you look at the world. Here Jesus tells us exactly what we ought to be praying for. Uh, We ought to be praying for Jesus to send out more workers. The world is his harvest field. We know Jesus is at work. The workers are few. And so Jesus tells us to ask that more workers would be sent out. God accomplishes his will through the prayers of his people. So we often pray for people to become Christians, and of course that's absolutely right. That's a great prayer to be praying for other people to become Christians. But Jesus is saying here that there's also another prayer that we can pray, which is for more workers to go out. I know that many of you here would have uh, loved ones that you are concerned to see come to know Christ in other countries. And we want to see them become Christians, and of course we can pray that they will become Christians, and that's a great thing to actually pray But why not also pray that they will meet Christians? Why not pray that God will send some of his workers into their lives to share Christ with them in uh, relevant ways? I know that this is the case with my own family and my own relatives uh, in the UK. There's uh, people in my family who aren't Christians. Uh, I'm actually, in all reality, I'm unlikely to get many chances to actually spend time with them or to actually share the gospel with them. But yet I can pray that they will meet Christians. I can pray that God will send one of his gospel workers, that God will send one of his harvesters into their lives as he continues to send out workers into the harvest field. I think one great illustration of this kind of prayer that I've uh, used previously is that of mountain rain. This uh, comes from a Scottish missionary in uh, Myanmar in the 1800s by the name of James Fraser. And James Fraser once said that when the uh, rivers and the valleys in Myanmar were swollen with water, he knew that it it had been raining uh, up in the mountains, up in the foothills of the Himalayas. 
uh, he would see these rivers that were filled with water and maybe overflowing and he would immediately know that it had been raining in the mountains and he likened this to prayer he was basically saying that when we pray it is often like mountain rain when we pray for more workers we're sort of playing in, praying in one place maybe praying over here wherever we are but yet the effects of our prayers will be seen many many miles away maybe even right across the whole world it's like mountain rain and so when we pray for more workers for overlooking church in the Philippines or when we pray for more workers for Christos Mission in Thailand or when we pray for more workers for the work of uh, international China concern in, in mainland China, the impact of those prayers can uh, be felt all over our, our region as God's blessing is poured out. And of course, praying is one thing that we can all do. We may not all feel called to uh, preach or even speak, but uh, one thing we can do is we can all pray. Jesus uh, puts this in the court of all of us. We can all do this. And so one practical thing we can do this week is to pray for more workers. Why not take that new missions pamphlet, which I mentioned earlier on during the notices, and pray for workers. Pray for more workers for Overlooking Church. Pray for more workers for Crestos and their strategic work amongst the Karen tribes in uh, northern Thailand. Uh, or pray for the work of ICC amongst uh, abandoned and disabled young people in mainland China. Like mountain rain, uh, God can use our prayers to have an impact far beyond where we are praying as well as here in Hong Kong. Don't feel overwhelmed. Don't feel inadequate when you look at the great spiritual needs of our world. But come and pray to God, the God who cares and the God who is adequate. And he is able to send out workers into his harvest field. So then, uh, when we look at the crowds, we're to be motivated by compassion. The same compassion that Christ had for the crowds. And we're to pray for more workers because we know that the harvest is plentiful that the workers are few. We need compassion, we need workers, and we need prayer. How can this become more real for us? Well, I actually think that the place where we need to start is really what God is doing in our own lives. We need to begin by remembering that Jesus doesn't just have compassion on the crowds in a general sense, but rather he has compassion on us as individuals for Christians he has had compassion on us as individuals you see once upon a time we too were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd but yet Jesus looked on us with mercy and grace see once upon a time we were lost uh, seeking satisfaction and fulfilment in all the wrong places without God and without hope in the, the world uh, we were crude and uh, offensive not just to other people but actually to God as well until Jesus had mercy on us and he rescued us by dying for us on the cross see Jesus is the fulfilment of all that God had promised Israel way back in Ezekiel 34 so uh, verse uh, 11 and 12 uh, for this is what the sovereign Lord says I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them so will I look after my sheep I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered verse 15 and 16 I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down declares the sovereign Lord I will search for the lost and bring back the strays I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak but the sleep and the strong I will destroy I will shepherd the flock with justice 
And so God alone is the shepherd of his flock. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. And when Jesus came, Jesus came as the good shepherd. He came as God himself, with the Father, heart of God for the sheep, and willing to lay down his life on the cross for them. You see, Jesus didn't step over us um, on his way to achieve greatness for himself. Actually, uh, Jesus is the one who gave up his greatness for us. He's the one that came down from the top of the, the mountain for us uh, to show us mercy. He stooped down and cared for us and had compassion on us. He tended up our wounds and he gave himself for us to rescue us and to bring us into a relationship with God. And then once we experience his love, we begin to see the world through new eyes. Uh, we have more and more of his heart for the lost. We begin to follow him. And we begin to have more and more compassion on the crowds that we see in our world. Of course, we'll still find that we are often hard and cold to the needs of those uh, around us. Uh, even as Christians, we will be tempted to step over the crowds uh, on our way to personal glory. But yet we serve a God who's able to melt our hearts with his love and to give us a new heart of compassion for those who are lost and helpless here in Hong Kong and throughout our region. So let's pray that Jesus will give us his heart and his mind for those who are lost. And we'll be singing about that in a moment. Let's pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. For the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the workers are few. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for your word to us this morning. We give thanks for this great reminder of your heart for those who are lost and helpless without you. Please fill us, Lord, with the same compassion that you have. And uh, may you send out many workers into the harvest field so that more people can come to know you. And uh, we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>